2: Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, church questions, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call. 210-340-9585. If you're outside of the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you, the safest way to call if you are driving in your car is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Because there you just hit the call now, Ben, at the top of the screen, everything else is hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching, and I'm not exactly sure exactly what God is going to have me do, but we're going to be teaching sort of on the beginning of a revival. And that's interesting to me, because with all the talk about Asbury University and what's going on there, and it still seems to be going really, really strong, and it seems to be doing well. Um... Um, You know, it's in everybody's mind, and we just happen to be uh, in 2 Kings chapter 22, where we're going to get to Josiah, uh, the eight-year-old king who grew up and led the greatest revival, literally a revival. so that's tonight, and whether, I I don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but I do know that that it's just a a really important Bible study, so that's tonight, 7 o'clock. We always have room on Wednesday nights, so you can join us in person, or you can watch a live stream, calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the day day edition of the program, and um, I'm sure she's got something she has to share from her heart as well. Uh, Our kids today went to the zoo on a uh, field trip from school, Um, one of our... Little boys evidently fell and broke his arm. So if you keep Zayden in your prayers, we would appreciate that. But it was National Hippopotamus Day. So everything was all hippos all the time uh, at the zoo today. And, and the people here at the church know that hippopotamuses fascinate me. They are by far my favorite animal. And uh, so they brought me a pin and they brought me a little plaque with a, a smiling hippo on it. And I thought that was cool. Well, let's get to questions while we await your phone calls. The first question comes from John from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, can you make sense of Demar Hamlin's demonic jacket he wore to the Super Bowl? Now, in case you in the audience don't know who Demar Hamlin is, he is a Buffalo Bills player that uh, died on the field and was, was resuscitated um, um, a few weeks ago. And he is doing well now. And he showed up at the Super Bowl. Uh, Pastor Ron, can you make sense of DeMar Hamlin's demonic jacket he wore to the Super Bowl? Many people jumped to conclusions about him being a Christian, uh, in parentheses, which I'm reluctant of. And with this jacket, I'm not sure what he was trying to say and how he made Jesus to look like. What are your thoughts? John, uh, I'm going to talk about DeMar Hamlin, but but I'm concerned about you. So uh, please bear with me. I don't know you, so this isn't anything personal at all. But as Christians, we've got to be better than this. You said his jacket is demonic. I'll talk about the jacket in a moment. And you said that you're um, hesitant to, you use the word reluctant, um, to call him a Christian uh, because he was wearing that jacket. And I think we got to be better than that. Why would we jump to that conclusion? Now, I can tell you what he said. Um, he said after speaking to his parents, and Damar is a Christian, born again. His parents are very devout, very faithful believers. And he said after talking to his parents, he could see how that jacket offended people. He said, Now I'm going to quote as closely as I can. He said, I just thought it was an artist's impression of Jesus on the cross. He thought he was doing something good. Um, he said, I can see how it offended people, and I'm sorry for the people I offended. Uh, Adrian Peterson, who is another Christian, uh, formerly a football player and now retired, uh, he blasted him on social media, said it was blasphemy and all of that. Well, the two of them did what Christians are supposed to do. They sat down and they talked. They talked about it, and um, um, Adrian Peterson let his feelings be known, said he thought it was not a good decision. And Damar Hamlin um, explained why he did it. He just thought it was an artist's impression of Jesus on the cross. So that's I think we need to give him the benefit of the doubt. Why would we not? Why would we assume that, that he has some ulterior motive? I think, John, that's one of the problems that, that we Christians have in this world. It's one of the reasons that our witness is so ineffective. It's ineffective because we jump to conclusions like this. We slander people. We think the, the worst of people. 1 um, Corinthians says love always trusts. We've well, we got to believe the best about people. Now, when we're shown that that's not true, then it's different. But to jump to conclusions and to judge somebody's soul, um, I, I think, I think we, we really need to take a step back and prayerfully think about this from Jesus' perspective. Um, So I'll take him at his word. Uh, I'm grateful that he's doing well. Uh, He is struggling still emotionally. I saw an interview with him um, online, and uh, he said physically he's doing fine. His heart is checking out okay, and he's doing But But he says, I'm still struggling emotionally. I mean, football's been taken away from him, and... And, um, you know, what he went through in the full view of the world, literally, was something that that um, people just shouldn't have to deal with. So, um, John, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And let's praise the Lord that he has been a very vocal public Christian. And uh, I, I just don't think wearing a jacket that might offend some people is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I don't think it's an unforgivable sin. So I hope that makes sense to you, John. But we've got to stop having opinions about people, about believing the worst about them and slandering them publicly. So I hope that makes sense to you. Um, um, Thank you for the question. Here's a question from Ruby. She says, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, So why doesn't that mean everyone in the world is going to make it to heaven? Um, Ruby, this is a question that I get fairly frequently. Um, Jesus' death was efficacious. And what what that means is uh, Jesus' death covered everybody in the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. But then there's the whosoever part of John 3.16. And in order to have your sins forgiven, you have to accept the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. No one can come to the Father except through the Son. There's no other name. This is Acts 4.12. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And I think what we need to understand, Ruby, is that we're all condemned. John 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus before verse 16 says that we're born condemned already. We have a sin nature. We're all guilty of sin. And what we need to do with that is understand that we need to be forgiven. And the only way to be forgiven is by faith in the Son of God. And so while I use the word efficacious, Jesus' death is efficacious for the whole world. It's only effective for those who will accept that free gift. And allow the Spirit of God to transform them. You you can come to Jesus any way you are. But you can't stay that way. I like to say this to our church. When you're coming to Jesus, you're, you're walking on holy ground. And so you've got to pursue holiness. And unfortunately, Ruby, uh, the people that want to keep on sinning and then just assume that God is going to take them to heaven because in their mind they're a good person... That's not the case. So Jesus did die for everybody and his death is enough for everybody who's ever lived. However, you have to receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Let's go to Reuben from Seguin, our friend on line one. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
3: God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today?
2: Reuben, I'm doing well. Thank you very much.
3: Okay. See you tomorrow. Um, I had a <laughs> I had a blessed time. Steve came over today and um, spoke to him for a while and I think <laughs> I talked his ear off. <laughs> um, he can talk pretty had, well. Have you had a Have you had a chance to speak to him yet?
2: No, I haven't all seen him tonight, but I haven't seen him uh, today.
3: Okay, well, you're finally going to see me tonight. You're going to, he took a picture because I told him, <laughs> I said, in 10 years, he hasn't seen me. He doesn't know what I look like. And uh, I said, I bet he thinks that I'm young, because a lot of people tell me that I don't sound my age. And um, so he said, Well, let me fix that. And he took out his camera and he he took a picture of me and my dad. And so uh, all I have to say is, don't get scared when you see me, <laughs> 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 because I I uh, I haven't shaved yet. I look like a like a uh, like one of the Dynasty Doug boys. Doug Dynasty <laughs> Doug boys. See, R- so, Ruben, I would if
2: if I could grow a beard, I would do that.
3: <laughs> oh God, I wish, I wish it wouldn't grow because every time <laughs> I shave it, within two days it's back, and it's oh. just gray. My hair, my hair is black, but my beard is gray. Oh so,
2: my! If that was uh, my, if that was true for me, there would never be a beard because I'm not going to have that creepy old man look.
3: I know, I need to shave it, I need to shave it, but I had a blessed time, we were blessed, took communion, and he prayed for us, and that is exactly what what I needed today, I really, you know, it's a step closer to seeing you, I know, Um, but I have a question, I do have a question, Um, Matthew 6, 6, and 7, Um, this is the NIV, and I want to try to hurry up and read it, because it says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Seven says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because they are many words. So, in another translation on that part, it says don't pray the same prayer over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, This one says babbling. So, I was wondering... Two questions. In the in the, the the first one, what does he mean by? Does he literally mean go into your room and close the door, uh, to uh, to pray to your father who was unseen? Then the father will reward you. Because um, I pray in my living room, <laughs> and I don't know how I overlooked this. And then and then number seven, like I said in another translation, I read, don't pray the same thing so over
2: and over again. Yeah. Actually, the, the, uh, the, the New King James and the King James both uses the term vain repetitions as the heathen do for verse 7. So uh, let me let me answer that, Reuben. Good question. And by the way, Steve is one of the nicest men in the whole world. So yeah. I'm really yeah, glad you got is. to meet him. He's really one of the good guys. Thanks a lot, Reuben. A yes. couple of things. One, you when you look at a passage of Scripture like this, you've got to look at the context. And there's contrast here. What Jesus is doing, and this is still the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is he's comparing those who do things only for public show. Um, verse 4, he says, Your charitable deeds should be done in secret, and your father who sees in secret places will reward you Openly, And he's contrasting that with those who are trying to appear spiritual. And we all know those people. You know, they, they, they get loud and boisterous. We want everybody to hear them pray. And they're giving advice during their prayers. Um, and he says, in contrast, no, be private. This is just between you and the Lord. And so in verse 5, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut the door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place. So he's not talking about a specific room, Reuben, in your house or my house. What he's saying, basically, is don't make a show of your prayers or don't make a show of your good deeds. Because God knows your heart and he'll reward you. And it doesn't matter what people think. And these, of course, are prayers that are being given um, as a sort of a show. Uh, Look at me. Look how spiritual I am. And so that's why he says it. But no, this is not instruction for us. This is a Jewish message, a very Jewish message. And here's what he's saying. Don't be like those guys that stand in the street corner and make these loud, long prayers. You just go and talk to your father and do it in a private place. Uh, One of the reasons I like Praying when I'm walking. Reuben is because it's just me and him. It's just me and him. And uh, those are the prayers that he hears. Now, regarding the vain repetitions, uh, we've all heard people, and, and we live in a Catholic city, so the rosary is a vain repetition. It has no value. Having an a, 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 a instrument and, and praying the same thing over and over and over. There's no value in that kind of a prayer. Um, uh, those religious exercises really do nothing to move the heart of God. So prayer is important, but we need to do it with the right heart and we need to do it um, in private before the Lord. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Taisha. She's Pastor Ron. What does it mean that Jesus became sin for us? Taisha, that 2 Corinthians, five twenty one. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. This Taisha is one of the most difficult things to explain, and and it's because we can't imagine how, how this happened. We 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 don't really have a full understanding. But what Jesus did is when he paid the price for my sin. He took my sin upon himself. He became my sin. Now the way I always think of this, Taisha, and this just just engenders such gratitude in my heart. But but I just think of the worst things I've ever done. And holy almighty God, in the person of Jesus Christ, became that sin. It wasn't like he took a beating and somebody said, Well, that's for Ron's sin. He became that sin. And he was punished for that sin. And he died for that sin. And when he died for that sin, I was cleansed from that sin. In exchange for my sin, um, I received his perfection, his righteousness. So that's what it means. Now, I can't explain that to you, how he became all the ugly things I did. But Jesus, literally on the cross, became our sin. And then accepted the punishment. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, Taisha, for your sin and mine. But make no mistake, he became sin. Jesus the man, certainly not Jesus who is one hundred percent God. Jesus the man became sin, even though he himself was without sin. That was a picture. In the Old Testament there was a scapegoat. They would they would lay their hands on the on the head of a goat. And then slaughter him. It was a transfer of sin. And Jesus was the fulfillment of that transference. Here's a question from Colin. Pastor, I'm in a season of waiting on the Lord to determine what he wants to do with my life. Do you have any advice for me? Colin, um, there's nothing but love in my heart here. But but I'm going to say nobody needs to be in a season of waiting. If you're in a season of waiting, and by that usually people mean they're not doing anything. Um, you'll never know what God wants you to do with your life. The only way you're going to know what God wants you to do with your life is to serve. Use the gifts that God has given you. Um, Really get involved in your church and serve others. Um, Part of the problem when we're we're waiting, and I've had people say, well, you know, I'm in a season of waiting, that's spiritual language. But the reality is uh, we're consumed uh, with ourselves. The focus is on us even asking, okay, what do you want me to do with my life? If you could hear Jesus' voice, here's what he would say to you. He'd say, serve. Love others. Pray for others. Serve others. The uh, example Jesus gave us as he was on his way to the cross, on his last day in this world, he washed the feet, the dirty feet of his disciples, including the first pair of dirty feet would have been Judas'. And he says, I've done this as an example for you. If I being God washed your feet, then you should go wash the feet of others. And, and that doesn't mean we have to have foot washing ceremonies, but it's service. And in Jesus' day, that was a, a, a duty that was given to the lowest slave in the household. The lowest slave in the household. This wasn't even even a, a veteran slave. The, the, the newest, the lowest. It was the worst job and, and that slave would wash the feet of guests as they arrived. You know, people wore sandals in those times, and their feet were dirty, the, the, the roads were dirt. And uh, so before they would come into a house, uh, the, that lowest servant would wash people's feet as an act of kindness and hospitality. Well, Jesus says that's what we ought to do. And Colin, just doing nothing is, is uh, my goodness, is is the, the least servicing thing that, that we can do. So if you want to know what God wants you to do with your life, you get busy serving, and I promise you, following Jesus day by day like that will give you the clear direction that you're looking for. Now, the problem with that, Colin, is that we typically want the five-year plan or the 10-year plan or the 20-year plan. God says, my sheep know my voice. I call them my name, and they follow me. And here's the, the, I hope, the exhortation that you really take to heart. When you're following Jesus every day, it is impossible to miss his perfect will for your life. It's impossible. Now, again, you don't have to know it. In fact, it takes more faith not to know it. And Jesus is just saying, come on, follow me, follow me. And Colin, I've had to learn all of this experientially. I thought when we first came to San Antonio, now almost 28 years ago, I thought, well, I'd get here and God give me all kinds of directions and I'd know exactly what to do. He didn't do anything. The first set of directions that I got from the Lord when we got to San Antonio, Texas, and I don't know how many days I was here, but I'd go out and pray and talk to the Lord. And, and the first thing he said to me in terms of, okay, I want you to do this now, it was start teaching Paula through the book of Romans. And, you know, my thought was, well, I'm called to be a pastor. Lord, shouldn't we have more people than just Paula? But he was knitting our hearts together. Had I not been faithful with that, then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Faithful in little things. You'll be faithful in many things. Use your gifts in secret, Reuben's question earlier. Um, and God will give you a bigger platform. But there's always testing 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 says that it is required that every man given to trust by God must prove faithful. And so instead of waiting, you get up, if you go to church on Sunday, Colin, get up and say, okay, Lord, you put people in front of me that you want me to pray for, that you want me to talk to, or that you want me to be a source of encouragement for. Go to your pastor and say, uh, how can I help? I thought I was in a season of waiting, but but I realized that's really not serving the Lord, so I want to serve the Lord. And they may ask you to clean restrooms, take out trash. They may ask you to be an usher. They may ask you to be in children's ministry, other things, but serve the Lord. And as you're serving the Lord, I promise you, Colin, you'll never, ever miss God's perfect will. It's frustrating because we won't know where we're going, you know, one of the things, Colin, that's peculiar to my life. I haven't driven now in probably 26 years because I'm visually impaired. And, and uh, you know, Paula does the driving. And, you know, I always knew where I was going. The directions I always knew. Well, now people depend on GPS. And I've found that... If we don't know where we're going, I want GPS on there because I want to know exactly how to get there. And Jesus is our spiritual GPS. And we always get to our destination. We get there on time. We don't waste any time looking around. And Jesus is the same way. You just follow me and you're going to be okay. I say just be with Jesus all the time. That's exactly, Colin, what I mean. So that's a great question, but everybody in this audience, there's no such thing as a season of waiting. There's no place in the Bible where it says just chill out and do nothing. Serve the Lord, and you do that by serving his people. And sadly, that's one of the things in the Western church that we are missing people who actually think going to church is serving God. It's not. We are the church, and we need to serve others in the church. Well, we have 30 minutes left in our Wednesday show, 340-9585, or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes.
1: Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question anonymously from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, I'm very confused on how to interpret and apply The Bible in my growth and knowledge. For example, the Old Testament promises are mostly for the people of Israel at that time. There are a lot of promises in the book of Psalms, but can they be taken and applied literally? So what resources can I reliably use to understand the Bible better? Thank you so much. I'm very blessed by this program. Well, thank you, Anonymous, for uh, for the kind words. Uh, A couple of things. You're you're understanding. You're doing a lot better, I think, than you think you are, uh, Anonymous, um, because you're understanding. This is just a, a clear indication that you understand that the Old Testament is not written for us specifically. And we can't take those promises literally. For example, and there are a bunch of them. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, uh, plans to prosper and not to harm. Um, and, and we take that, and, and everybody knows Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, or, 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 or if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will heal their land. And we think, well, that's a great promise, and and it's not for us. It was very specific. Both of those promises were very specific. Now, there are principles, Anonymous, that you can apply in your own life. Um, the, the, the Chronicles passage uh, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves. It's real simple. If, if I want my prayers to be heard, then I've got to pray in humility. I've got to pray um, understanding who He is and who I am. And if I will humble myself, and and uh, come to the Lord, then the 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 person that you heal will be me. So that's a great principle in the Psalms. You're right. Uh, a lot of the Psalms we can pray. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me in Psalm 51. Um, the Holy Spirit can't be taken from us. Um, Jesus promised He'll be with us even through to the end of the age. So th- th- that's important. But but the the principle is. Um, We can then say in a New Testament construct, we can say, Lord, thank you that you've given me a seal guaranteeing my inheritance in heaven. And David didn't have that. So if you understand it and you're getting this, if you understand that that's for Israel, then we can pull out principles and apply those principles in our lives. That's really important. Another thing you can do, Anonymous, is use the New Testament As a way to interpret the Old Testament. Because the New Testament is the very best commentary on the Old Testament. And I always like to say it this way. The Old Testament. People say, why do I have to read the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament is like. And I'm really old. I don't know if they even have these anymore. But uh, I grew up. They used to have um, um, uh, Connect the Dots coloring books. And when you would connect the dots by numbers, at the end you'd get an outline of something. And you'd be able to tell what it is. And uh, then we'd take crayons and color it in. Well, the New Testament colors in that outline of the Old Testament. And the New Testament and the Old Testament are both all and only about Jesus. And if you look for him, then you'll understand. I also think, depending on the book you're in, this is a place where commentaries can come uh, into play and be very, very useful. So uh, find some commentaries that you uh, are comfortable with, and by that I mean you know they're they're doctrinally sound. It uh, doesn't mean you're going to agree with everything, but they're doctrinally sound. And um, I don't know how much you want to invest, but, but let me just give you a suggestion. Uh, the new international commentary series edited by F.F. Bruce is by far the best New Testament commentaries I've ever come across, and now they have some Old Testament commentaries as well. I think a lot of the books now uh, are included. Uh, it can get a little pricey, but they're really, really good. Um, and, and I think um, I think this is the time now you lean on the Holy Spirit. So find some resources. Get a good book on hermeneutics by a reputable scholar. Uh, and you'll be able to really sort of dig in there is some stuff written by John Stott John R W Stott and all you got to do is google him and some stuff his um, his books on preaching his books on interpreting the bible uh, are are absolutely wonderful there's a series uh by Warren Wearsby, and he does uh he's with the Lord now but he does it's called the B series And it's got uh, a lot of Old Testament commentaries um, for for his as well. And his are very readable, very um, uh, at a level that we can all understand. And he gives us wonderful insight into application. So I think those are the books that you want to look at the most. Uh, Another one for New Testament, I always include him, F.F. Bruce. That's Frank Frank, F.F. Bruce um and any of his commentaries on Romans on the Book of Acts uh, the life of the apostle Paul uh, any of his stuff is really really excellent and he is my favorite commentator of all time there's also some really good stuff that is free available online Ray Steadman, S T E D M A N um he's with the lord as well and uh, he's uh, his stuff is uh, online for free um so so there's some really, really good stuff out there and available. Keep going. You're doing well. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to, we've got Scott from Von Army holding on line one. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Well, I called you twice in one week, Brother Ron. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's, I'm fine with that.
4: Okay. You may have addressed this because I only catch the second half of your show on my way home from work. Um, but uh, there's a lot of chat going on. Well, let me, let me back up the story. Um, I guess before the Super Bowl, a sister at, at my church texted me and said that there was going to be a commercial about Jesus. And then later she texted me and said, never mind, it's universalism. So I never really paid attention. Mm-hmm. But now I noticed today or the last couple of days, was, and I've never seen the commercial. I, hopefully you know about this subject because I don't know a whole lot about it yeah. but, or the group that, that presented it but um today i see a lot of uh chat i'm in a, a it's like a think of a group text of uh, christian group at work but it's like a worldwide group and they all seem to be talking very positively, positively about this uh commercial and i was just wondering if if you know what the commercial who it was um or any information about that i was just curious
2: yeah i do uh hobby lobby is involved in funding it at least partially funding it uh, but it's a group. It's called he gets us. That's uh, he gets us dot com or dot org. I'm not sure which one it is, uh, but they spent 20 million dollars on uh, Super Bowl ads. And uh, Scott, here's what I can tell you. I can tell you uh, that there's a lot of people talking about Jesus. There's a lot of unbelievers uh, that I've had other Calvary pastors uh, write to me about and, and say that, you know, they're asking questions about Jesus, who's behind this and, and, and that message. Does he really understand this? And, and, and it's a message that is reaching out to unbelievers and getting a wonderful response. And I think we ought to be happy. Now, part of the problem is that we're so cynical. Uh, Well, I got to know who they are, got to know what their stand is. But we need to take some advice here from the Apostle Paul when writing to the church at Philippi. He's in jail and there's some people trying to stir up trouble for him. And Paul himself said, you know, uh, some people preach Christ uh, out of a pure heart. Others preach Christ out of a a selfish heart, uh, supposing they can stir up trouble for me. But what do I care as long as Christ is being preached? So I don't see anything negative about it. Now some people think it's too woke, um, you know. Uh, there, there's one he gets his commercial that Jesus was an immigrant, and uh, and and so automatically these the, the nationalists uh, among us, the Republicans among us, I uh, mean, say, well, well, we're against immigration, so this is too woke. This isn't really from God. I haven't seen Jesus misrepresented in any one of those commercials yet. Now I have no idea what they're motive is but why would we not assume that their motive was right and as long as they don't say anything that is heretical then why don't we rejoice and assume the best and be like Paul and say Jesus is being preached and for that we can give thanks to God I think Scott is a really really effective program and anything gets people talking about the Lord is great so um, you know, Jesus, if he were here, he would get um, accused of of hanging around with sinners. He was a drunkard, a glutton, and and you know, if Jesus were here right now, he'd be hanging around those very people. Um, their their statement of faith says we're not affiliated with any particular church or denomination. We simply want everyone to understand the authentic Jesus as he's depicted in the Bible, the Jesus of radical forgiveness, compassion, and love. Now, who could be against that? Who could be against that? Now, if somewhere down the road there comes some sinister um, motive behind it, we'll be able to say like the Apostle Paul, well, hey, At least we can rejoice because Jesus was being preached from good motive or bad, and God is able to deal with that. So I think it was very effective, and um, I know unbelievers are talking about it, and that's really a good thing. Thanks, Scott. Always good to hear from you. 340-9585 Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Paul. He says, "My question is about idolatry. We don't have idols anymore, so why do many preachers? Oh, I'm sorry. Why do so many preachers talk about idols?" Paul, all you have to do is look around, and you see idols everywhere. Now they're not statues. Now there are some churches that have statues, and there are some of those statues and some of those icons that have been worshipped and people line up for days and days and kiss them and all those things. But but for the most part, the idols in the world that we live in are the things in our lives that come ahead of Jesus. That's why we talk about idols. You know, you can't teach the Old Testament without talking about Idol idolatry. Jesus said, you should have no other God before me. Well, our little G God our, is anything that we put in front of Jesus Christ, anything that's more important. It can be good things. We can have a career and we all want to be successful in a career. But if a career takes priority over Jesus, if earning money takes priority over Jesus, and by the way, money is one of the, the major idols in our culture. I've seen relationships become idolatrous. Somebody wants uh, this girl or this guy so badly, and then when they get it, then then just that's all they're all about. And they forget the one that gave them life. They forget the one that allowed that relationship. To have. I've seen babies, Paul, become idols. I know couples. I can think of names right now off the top of my head. I know couples that wanted babies baby so bad when they got that baby, they wanted to protect the baby so much that they wouldn't go to church. They wouldn't serve anymore. Babies become idols. I see parents every Sunday who won't take their children to the nursery so they can come in and hear the Bible being taught. Well, no, i got to protect my baby. That baby becomes an idol. So an idol today, Paul, is anything and everything that we put in a place of priority ahead of Jesus Christ. I say this all the time, and people hate it when I say it, but... Jesus has to be more important to you than anything in this world. And if you can't honestly say that's true for you, then you've got idols in your life. And Jesus needs to be first. He needs to be foremost. He will not share his glory. So idolatry is alive and well, and it will always be alive and well. That's one of the devil's favorite things, especially when we're doing those, uh, you know, things like um, religious um, service and religious effort. We we can make that an idol. God hates that kind of stuff. He just hates it. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Beverly says, "What does loving discipline look like in a church setting when someone refuses to repent?" Beverly, this is one of the hardest things. In our church culture, we got so many churches, and and a lot of those churches are so big that people can go from church to church. Um, when 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 one church tries to impose church discipline, yeah, I'll just leave and find another church. And it's interesting because very seldom will I ever get a call from another pastor. Hey, we we'll get somebody who was uh, said they were at your church, and now they're at our church. And a lot of those times, I could have saved them a lot of trouble if they would have asked me. Uh, Why did they leave your church? I could have been able to say. So loving discipline is corrective discipline. So when someone is refusing to repent, I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, Somebody wants to get a divorce, and they don't have a biblical reason for having a divorce. Um, I I know that they've been online or they've been chatting somebody else up or they've been um, flirting a relationship at work or some other thing. And I tell them, look, you got to stop. You got to stop. And and eventually they'll come to me and say, well, I fall in love. No, you got to repent. And if they refuse to do that, then loving discipline is first. And usually it's me talking to them. Um, then if he doesn't or she doesn't respond, you take two or three more according to Matthew eighteen, and then you confront that person in love and if they don't respond that then you tell the church now usually tell the church is not announcing it to everybody in the church in a public setting but but what we do is we'll let the elders know we'll let the people that are in positions of leadership here know and uh and and then we'll we'll go after them when i say go after them we will stay in contact with them we'll we'll beg them to request. And if they, if they refuse, then we'll have to tell them that they're no longer welcome here. And I've had to do that. And it's a heartbreaking thing. And this kind of discipline uh, should never be done without a broken heart. So, Beverly, I hope that makes sense to you. You know, the, the unloving thing is to refuse to discipline people who are in willful sin. You know, we have people every... Time we open the doors. We got people here who say they're Christians, but they're living in, in uh, a lifestyle that is decidedly unchristian, unchrist like. And we don't know everybody. We don't know everything that's going on, but they know, and the Holy Spirit's there. When it comes to our attention, then we have to confront those people in love and let them know. And usually we're the bad guys when we do that. Oh, you're judging me. You don't know what's going on. It doesn't matter. If you're in sin, it's not loving not to warn you we've only had to do that a couple of times here in our years at Calvary Chapel Beverly and uh, it's always uncomfortable here's a question from Gino to love others as ourself must we learn to love ourselves this is what my church is teaching probably Gino you're in a in a prosperity church or a health and wealth church or a church that is Uh, focused on on you rather than focused on Christ Um, the the reality is you know we don't have any problem loving ourselves I tell my church all the time I'm crazy about me I got to learn to die to me so that I can live for Christ and uh, when Jesus said to to love others as ourselves literally that's to love others before ourselves to put their needs in a position before ourselves uh, husbands are instructed to love our wives as Christ loved the church giving himself up for her to to put our wives needs ahead of our own so um the the, the teaching that says uh well you know i got to learn to love myself first um th- this is uh, horrible 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 uh, secular psycho babble type teaching um, the problem that I run into with people, Gino, is that they love themselves too much and are unwilling to say no to themselves. So I don't think that's a safe church to be in. Probably one that you ought to, ought to leave and find a church where they're going to open the Bible and teach it accurately. Three four zero ninety five eighty five 9585 for your live calls and questions. Question from Pablo uh, to our studio. From San Antonio, what is your opinion of the Church of Latter-day Saints? Uh, Pablo, it's a cult, uh, a religious cult. Um, They're not saved. They're not Christians. Uh, They're Jesus. And and, and part of the reason that they're so confusing uh, is because they use all the same words we do. Jesus died for my sins. Uh, Jesus paid for my salvation. Um, Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, but in their sense, everybody's the son of God. Um, so, so, and, and they do a lot of good things. They take care of their people. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a church filled with, we would say, good people. The problem is that they don't have a Jesus that's real. They use the same name, but a completely different uh, meaning into that name. Their Jesus is not the creator of everything. Their Jesus is not God the Son. He's the Son of God but he's not God the Son. Their Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. It's sort of like uh, mom and dad had two sons. One was bad, one was good, but they're brothers. That's simply not true. And so a cult is defined by those who um, mischaracterize the nature of God. And that's what the the Church of uh, the Latter-day Saints, um, the Mormons, uh, that's what they do. So it's a cult, um, and stay away from them, uh, period. Just uh, just don't get involved. Jehovah's Witnesses are another cult, uh, not dissimilar in in structure to the Mormons, but, but different perspective on things. So Pablo, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Boy, your time's going by. We're inside of five minutes. Um, Ryan wants to know, uh, Pastor Ron, will Judas get one of the 12 thrones in heaven for the apostles? No, Ryan, Judas won't be in heaven. Judas won't be in heaven. Judas, Jesus said, was the son of perdition from the beginning. Uh, he was the one who was the betrayer. We know that about him. Uh, Jesus said to Judas, it would be better that he had never been born. So so Judas will not be in heaven. Uh, the seat, and you remember... Uh, in the book of Acts, the first chapter, Peter said, um, under the direction of the Lord, um, he said that um, uh, we must fill Judas's seat, his vacancy, uh, and so they laid out some criteria and cast a lot, which was a very Jewish way of determining the will of God. Now, people say, well, that's just superstition. Well, remember, Peter and, and John and all the others, they didn't have the, the Holy Spirit yet. This is before... The Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2, and so they did the best they could using the Jewish scriptures, and I'm confident that God is the one who directed the casting of the lots because this was important, and when Matthias was chosen to take Judas' place, that will mean by definition that he will be on one of those 12 thrones. Matthias will be on one of those 12 thrones in heaven. Now, there are people who say, well, well, because they cast lots, that wasn't led by the Holy Spirit. They should have waited for the Apostle Paul. Well, the problem with waiting for the Apostle Paul is a whole bunch of years went by for that. So uh, I think that's uh, really important. Judas um, will not be there. Thank you very much. Here's our last question for the day. It's anonymous from our mobile app. Uh, pastor Ron, do you ever have other pastors on the show? I'm not tired of your of your voice, but I was just curious. Anonymous, I get tired of my voice, so it would be perfectly okay if you're tired of your voice. Yeah, I've had some of uh, other pastors. Uh, typically, when we do this program from a pastor's conference, I'll have a pastor from another church on. Uh, I really enjoy doing that. I've had other pastors from my staff, on the show and we are going to be doing that again i want to have our youth pastors uh, on the show uh, in the near future Uh, it's just such a busy time right now that we're going to wait till um, before spring Uh, i want to have uh, dr peter who is a pastor here uh, and and, uh, sheba from the medical staff and uh, malta medical Uh, so yes we will have other people on the show As well, Uh, but I really enjoy having other pastors. Uh, Our women's retreat is coming up. Paul will talk about this tomorrow, I think um, three weeks away, maybe four weeks away now. And uh, I'm going to have a pastor on the show um, uh, because the the husband of the woman who's doing the speaking is going to be here. Uh, His name is John Cown. I'll have John on the show, Uh, and I enjoy doing that. And uh, I think it's a good thing to have a different voice on the show uh, pastor ken um everybody who's been a, a listener for a length of time uh, fills in for me and the, those moments those rare times when i'm not able to be on the show or if i'm on vacation so yeah i would love to have other pastors on the show i got a note from my producer paula has the ladies come and the seniors special guests like adoption Oh, we do we yeah we do other stuff just different topical shows Okay, thanks very, very much, Anonymous. I appreciate it. And didn't hurt my feelings at all. I didn't think of that. Tonight, here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching what I think is the, the first of two or maybe three really important Bible studies in the life of Josiah. He is my favorite king of all of the kings. Uh, he's my personal favorite. This was a man who uh, was responsible for the Bible that we have even now, preserving it, and I can't wait. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. Paula will be live in studio with us on the date day edition of the program tomorrow. Hey, again, thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. Lord willing, Paula and I will be back here tomorrow on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock. See you then.